Jesus? That is the question we're thinking about this morning. It is a question that lies at the heart of this passage. It is the question that lies at the heart of John's gospel as a whole. And it is a question that lies at the very heart of Christianity. It is impossible to overstate how vitally important this question is. For one's answer to this question will determine how you live in the here and now, and it will also determine how you'll spend the rest of your eternity. Thankfully, here in verses 16 through 29, Jesus is going to answer this question for us. And in keeping with the purpose of John's gospel, we know from John chapter 20, 20, verse 31, these things are written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life. Just before we dive in to look at this passage, it might be helpful for me just to recap a little. The last time we were in John's Gospel, we were looking at verses 1 through 15 of chapter 5. There Jesus has just healed a crippled man who had sat beside the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. When the Jewish leaders saw this man walking and carrying his mat, instead of praising Jesus, they took real issue with him because he had healed this man on the Sabbath. Look down at verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, in the face of their accusations, in the face of their charges, Jesus responds with these words, my father is working until now, and I am working. Far from downplaying their concerns, he raises the stakes. And what Jesus says here may be lost on us, but it was not lost on them. Notice how he begins, my father. Jesus speaks in a way that was not common for Jews to speak at that time at all. Jesus was claiming he had a special relationship with God the Father. Not just special, but exclusive. A relationship not shared by others. In a word, Jesus was declaring, I am the Son of God. But look at what he goes on to say. My Father is working until now, and I am working. You know, in the Jewish mindset, when they looked at Genesis chapter 2 and it said that God created the world in six days and then on the seventh he rested. All the Jews thought long and hard about that and they concluded that God could not have ceased from working. Certainly not the works of providence, the works of governing and maintaining and sustaining the universe. Because if he did, this universe would no longer exist. And so the Jews rightly concluded that what God rested from was the work of creation. But he continued with his other works. Every Jew agreed God works on the Sabbath. But they would make clear God works on the Sabbath, but that doesn't mean we can. After all, God has many rights that we don't have, 
Because God is God. Here Jesus comes and he declares, God works on the Sabbath and I do too. Do you see why this is a hugely provocative statement? Jesus is saying he is equal with God the Father. Look at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus says, what the Father does, I do. And and that's going to be the recurring theme in the verses that unfold. Like Father, like Son. Now, as we come to this passage, I need to point out that nearly every commentator says that this section of John's Gospel is one of the most profound And one of the most stretching passages in all the Bible. Because it gives us some of the deepest insights into who Jesus is. And in particular, how he relates to the Father. So heads up, this message is going to require a little bit of thinking. But let me say this as well. As we're challenged to think deeply about who Jesus is. And how he relates to the Father. We're also going to be challenged about how we respond to who he is. How we respond to the offer he makes. So so my plan for us, very simply, is to walk through verses 19 and 20 to 29 under three headings. Here's my three points. The first one is the son's relationship with the father is one of perfect unity. The second point, the son's relationship with the father is one of glorious activity. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see that our relationship to the Son will impact our present reality and it will determine our eternal destiny. So let's look at the Son's relationship with the Father as one of perfect unity. It'd be so easy to read over the first word of verse 19. Jesus, We read, so Jesus said to them, The so here connects what Jesus says here to what has just been alleged by these Jewish leaders, that he made himself equal to God the Father. These Jewish leaders were mad because they understood that Jesus said his works were on the same level as the Father's works. Now, what might be a helpful to appreciate as i've said like father like son in the first century world just in general in any family for a son ever to make himself equal with his father was to claim a prerogative that was not his for a son to make himself equal with his father was in essence for a son to usurp the place of his father and so the jewish leaders were looking at jesus this mere man, and they were hearing him claim that not only was God his father, but he was doing the same works as the father. Now, we know their big problem was they were blind to who Jesus was. He's a God-man. He possessed a very special relationship with his father. But let's not be too hard on these Jewish leaders for now. They were monotheistic Jews. 
Every day, this was their confession. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Their minds could not even begin to entertain or compute that the one God existed, not just in two persons, but in three persons, as Trinity. And so, notice how Jesus very wisely starts his sermon. He begins telling them about the equality of the Father and the Son in the Godhead. Now, here's where our minds are going to be stretched. Look at verse 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. The force of what Jesus says here is I cannot act independently of the Father. Why? Because he's one with the Father. One in being as our confessions and creeds teach us. But one also in will. If you've got a Bible, you could look down at verse 30. And verse 30 is a parallel statement to verse 19. And it begins with this, I can do nothing on my own. Here's why. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus is at one with the Father in being, in purpose, and in will. In verse 20, Jesus now goes on to explain that he possesses this unique relationship with the Father. Look at how verse 20 opens. For the Father loves the Son. Don't skip over the word for. This is why Jesus does not work on his own apart from God. Because his life is rooted and empowered by the love of the Father. Notice what binds Jesus and the Father together. Love. John, in one of his other writings, says, God is love. John, in this gospel, has told us in chapter 3 that the unseen motivation of all that he does is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. The, the union between the Father and Son is one of communicating love. Remember what the Father declared at Jesus' baptism? This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Now look at the next phrase in verse 20. The Father shows him all that is Jesus, all that he is doing. Put simply, there are no secrets between God the Father and God the Son. There is no separation either. They enjoy complete relational transparency. They share common purpose and work. Now, now we could easily skip over this, but when Jesus says this, he's making another claim to divinity, to deity. Because in John chapter 1, we read, no one can see God. And yet Jesus has shown all that God the Father is doing. Because Jesus is one with God the Father. Now, that's a lot. I get it. What does this mean for you and me? 
that Jesus does nothing of his own accord except what the Father shows him. Well, we never need to wonder. We never need to wonder about the Father's will and work. Because the Father's will and work is that which is done by his Son. Maybe I can put it like this. See in verses 1 through 15, when Jesus healed the crippled man, Jesus did that because the Father showed him. This was the Father's work, will. And Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, just when he was a little boy, age 12, his parents forgot him in the temple. He said, I'm about my father's business. John 4, my food is to do the father's will. Jesus' entire life was to, to do the works and the will of God. Now, when you and I understand this, this is the impact it has for our, our Christian lives. In the Christian, you do not have an absentee father. Sometimes Christians can, can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus is the one who comes near to us in the incarnation. He came into this world. And the Father is the one who, who exists in glory. And, and maybe sometimes, we would never put it like this, this is put crudely, maybe the Father, when he sent Jesus into this world, he, well, he retired into the back room of heaven. And, and Jesus goes on and does the work. But that would be to totally misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. At every point in Jesus' ministry, he is revealing the Father's will and the Father's work. Jesus will later on say in this gospel to his disciples, He who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Isn't it fascinating that Jews mistakenly thought that Jesus in saying what he said and doing what he did was usurping the Father's glory. He was thwarting the Father's will, when in actual fact, he was revealing the Father. He was executing the Father's will. At every point in his ministry, Jesus manifests the Father's love. So church, anything that Jesus does in your life and my life, it is because of our Heavenly Father. And man, we can draw so much comfort and so much confidence. Every day of our Christian lives is surrounded by the united purpose of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Christians, our lives are lived within the safety of the Trinity. As I said, in the Christian life, there is no absentee father. All of the persons of the Godhead are united as one for our good. So the son's relationship with the father is one of perfect unity. They're united in will and being and purpose in love. When Jesus stands in front of these accusers, he says, I'm God's son, equal in power and glory. This leads us to our second point. Not only is his relationship one of perfect unity, but it is one of glorious activity. Look at what Jesus says at the end of verse 20. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So Jesus just healed this crippled man who's been crippled for 38 years. And now he says, to quote the famous rock band, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. 
Yeah, this man who, who, who couldn't move, whose, whose limbs and muscles, tendons had probably seized up. Jesus healed him with a word. Jesus says, greater works he is yet to do, and it will cause everyone to marvel. Well, we ask the question, what what are these greater works? Well, look at verse 21. Here Jesus identified two greater works. The first greater work is that he will raise the dead and give people life. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. We need to hear this as the original hearers heard this, because in their mind, the only one who has the prerogative to raise the dead is God. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Ezekiel, elsewhere, it was emphatically clear, only God can raise the dead. And now here comes Jesus and he says, that's my work as well. I'm not exaggerating, but in this statement, Jesus is making claims that surpass any other religious leaders in history. No other religious leader has come into this world and said, I can raise the dead. I am God. Allah. Buddha, Muhammad, choose. But Jesus comes and this is what he declares. And if we were just to feel the, the, the weight of this, standing in front of these Jewish leaders is the son of a carpenter. A man who, who, earthly speaking, was from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But look at what Jesus says. Look at how bold his claim. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. So he affirms his equality with God in terms of power, but he also affirms his sovereign right. He gets to make the determination of who receives life. Now, the healing of the crippled man is a case in point. Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda. There was a multitude of invalids, a multitude of lame people, and Jesus singled out one man, and he made him whole. He had mercy on whom he chose to have mercy. Because he's a sovereign son. Now, when when we're speaking in the context of this verse about Jesus having the ability to give life and to raise the dead, we often think of the final resurrection, the bodily resurrection. Now, we'll get to that in a moment, but right now, Jesus is actually speaking about the present reality of resurrection. You see, before Jesus can raise anyone physically from the dead at the last bodily, Jesus must raise us spiritually. There must be an inward resurrection, as it were, before there is an outward resurrection. And I know this is a lot, but the Apostle Paul beautifully takes, these, takes this reality and ties it together in, in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, that is, if then you have been regenerated, if then you have been made alive, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Then in verse 4 he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, that's at the end, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
That is the final resurrection, the bodily, the outward resurrection. Brothers and sisters, this is, a greater, this is the glorious activity of Jesus. He raises people. He regenerates them. He gives them life. And it is at one with his final and glorious purpose of raising us at the last bodily. So that's the first part of his glorious activity. But look at the second part. Verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Now, now things, now the temperature gets turned up. Jesus' statement here is so inflammatory because these Jewish leaders are standing accusing him and now he says, I'm the judge. I'm the one who will execute God's judgment. We must understand that when Jesus says, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, this verse is is speaking in the terms of the economy of redemption. The way that the Father chooses to honor the Son is by devolving on him the whole office of judging the world, of ruling and reigning over the world. This is Christ's reward because of his work of redemption. So in the wake of his resurrection, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 says, God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. Now, now what's beautiful about Jesus here speaking about his, his judgment, that all judgment's been given to him. Like resurrection, there's both a present reality and there's a future reality. This isn't speaking about future reality yet. This is speaking about present reality. Jesus is judge. Jesus is ruler over all the world. Right now. R.C. Sproul, Lily R.C. Sproul would say, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe because Christ is in control. This world might feel like to us that it's out of control. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, death, controversy, conflict everywhere. It is not out of control. It's in Jesus' complete control. And again, this gives us immense comfort and courage as God's people. That means that anything that happens in our weapons under his authority, under his rule and reign. And by the way, that should influence the way you see this life. We so often live like all the things that are happening, they come as a surprise to us, but they don't come as a surprise to God. And in his sovereign providence, he often works his plans and purposes out through the circumstances and the providences of our life. Now, what Jesus says in verse 23 is even more amazing. Get the pattern. Jesus does everything that God does. He gives life. He judges. But for what purpose? So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is what Jesus says. He doesn't only do the works of God, but he deserves the worship of God. The honor that belongs to God alone. Now, listen to this again from the Jewish leader's perspective. The reason that they've accused Jesus of Sabbath breaking and blasphemy is because they think they're defending God. 
This statement is pointed against their so-called effort of opposing Jesus. That they think they're honoring God. Jesus is saying, you guys are so self-deceived. Because if you don't honor Jesus, you do not honor the Father who sent him. Such is the perfect unity. Such is the glorious activity of Jesus. They're all one piece. I don't know if you've ever said or had a friend who, who said this. I believe in God, but, you know, Jesus, I don't believe in him. Well, that's fine. But you are not a Christian. You do not honor God. Because Jesus says here, we need to honor him. He who does not honor him does not honor the Father. Now, now this, this impacts our glorious activity for the present. Brothers and sisters, do you know what our purpose is? Shorter catechism question number one. What is our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were made to give honor and glory to God. This is what we were made for. This isn't just a hobby. This isn't just something that's part of our cultural identity. This is what we were made for. C.S. Lewis says, and I've said this many times, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. You want to enjoy God? Honor the Son. Now that raises the question, so how do I honor him? Well, look at verse 24. This is the most incredible statement. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into the judgment, but has passed from death to life. You know, words have power. Words start wars. Words end wars. The pen is more powerful than the bomb. Some of the greatest speeches ever in history were, were, were men who, who had such a, an ability to use words to great effect. Winston Churchill's great speech, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall never surrender. Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Words are powerful. Words can change the direction of a nation. But there is a word that is incomparable. The gospel word. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Notice what he goes on to say. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. There is not a word that compares to the gospel word. It is the power to change our lives forever. Now, this is how glorious the gospel is. When we have heard 
the good news of the good God who made this good creation, and yet we fell and we rebelled against him. But in his son, he comes to us. He lives a life we could not live, dies a death that we should have died, was raised gloriously and is now seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming back to judge the world in power and glory. When we hear that word and the invitation is to believe, here's the promise. We will pass from death to life and we will not face judgment in the future. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anyone who trusts in the word of Christ, anyone who receives the gospel word, is no longer under condemnation. Now, I get it. All of us have fears. All of us have anxiety. Some of us, no doubt, are fearful for what lies ahead this week or what lies ahead in the future. Listen, there's one thing you need not fear if you have trusted the gospel word. You need not fear the judgment that comes on the far side of death. Because the gospel word is a word of peace, life, joy, security. You want to know how you honor the son? Hear his word. Believe it. Trust in what he's done for you. Greater works. Will you see that you'll marvel? The Son of God died for you, raised for you. This is what he offers us. So we've looked at Jesus' relationship with his Father. It's one of perfect unity. We've looked at Jesus' glorious activity. Now let's just wrap this up by thinking how our relationship to the Son, let's just think about how it determines our eternal destiny. Look at Jesus' final words in this passage. Verse 20. Do not marvel at this. Now, see when Jesus says, do not marvel at this, he's saying, like, really you should be surprised at this. <laughs> Literally, take this seriously. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. That day is coming. That day is guaranteed. Because of his resurrection. And because God has fixed a day where he'll judge the world in a son. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. On the final day there will be two classes of people. Now let's be clear, when Jesus speaks here of those who have done good and those who have done evil, you could easily think that Jesus is saying that our final judgment is on the basis of doing good and evil. It's on the basis of works. Of course he's not saying that. Verse 24, it's on the basis of hearing and believing. Our final judgment as Christians will be rendered on the basis not of our works, but of Christ's works. We receive mercy because of faith alone in Christ alone. We pass from death to life because we've trusted in him. So what does he mean when he says those who have done good to the resurrection of life. This is the shorthand speaking about the Christian life. You know the Christian life? It's a good life. Because we are saved to do good works. We're saved to live in relationship with the good God. And, and when Christ's life impacts and transforms our life, it manifests itself in good works. We're saved by faith alone, but we're not saved by a faith that is alone. 
Jesus says, those who believe in him, trust in him, those who live the good life in him will be raised. But then more sober, more solemnly, more sobering, Jesus says, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And here Jesus describes those who reject him. They shall come forth. And even though they refuse to hear his words of grace and truth in this life, they shall be summoned to hear him as he speaks in judgment. And Jesus will judge people according to their works, according to what they have done with him. And and, and this is such a solemn passage because Jesus, when he speaks this word, this gospel word, he's speaking it to men in front of him who are outwardly hostile and want to kill him. Note the irony. They're accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath and committing blasphemy. On the Sabbath, they scheme the Son of God's death. But don't miss this. The wonder of the gospel is that on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon to those who were responsible for killing the Lord of glory and he offers them the opportunity to repent and believe. And brothers and sisters, today, his voice speaks and those who hear will live. Let's pray. Our glorious God, our minds cannot wrap themselves around the reality of who you are as triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet at the same time, our souls draw so much comfort from knowing that you are the Father who is showing your Son your will and your work, and he delights to do it. We thank you that by your Spirit you apply redemption to our lives. We thank you that by the work of your Spirit you can make the dead live. You can give the the blind spiritual sight. You can give the deaf ears to hear. We pray that this morning people would, we would all hear the gospel word. And those of us who know you and love you, we would live the good life that you've given us as the good God to do good works, to showcase to this watching world that there is a God in heaven who loved this world and sent his son so that we might have life in its abundance and life forevermore. Bless these thoughts to us this morning, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.